Hey guys. Okay, so where we left off last week is with salvation. We talked about the things that the world offers as solutions um, and even helps to it. And then we want to take a look at what God says. Uh, because think about it in these terms God created you, right? Yep. Yeah, right. Yes, okay, all right. God created you, He created humanity. Who better to help us with these problems that we have than God? I mean, when you think about it in those terms, what God has to say will help us in any circumstance that we're in. The issue is if we're willing to humble ourselves and receive God's counsel. That's the issue. God created you. He understands you like the back of his hand. He understands you better than you know yourself. And so when it comes to issues with relationships, with life circumstances, God is the one you need to go to. Sometimes talking it out with people will help. But God needs to be your rock. God needs to be your anchor. People can give you advice and they can offer you counsel. But God needs to be your primary source of advice and your primary source of counsel. He has to be because he knows you. You're human. He made you. He knit you together in your mother's room. He's not surprised by anything that unfolds in your life. So you need to go to him. And if we're willing to go to him and hear what he has to say, then we'll be in a much better place. It's not like it's going to be fixed overnight. Sometimes I wish they would. I wish a lot of my problems in my life could be fixed overnight. But most of them can't. But if I'm willing to hear what God has to say, and if I'm willing to wrestle with God on these things, then I'm starting off on the right foot. So that's just something I wanted to throw out there. Okay, so the first thing that God says is that if you're not saved, you need to be saved. You've got to be saved. You have to be born again. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The biggest problem we have as sinners is our sin nature. And it starts there. It absolutely starts there. And until we come to the place of salvation, we should not really expect our problems to get much better. Because they can, you can put patchwork over it, and you can put band-aids on it. But until we hit salvation, until you actually submit yourself to the Lord for salvation, then it's not going to go much farther. Now, past that, it is possible for Christians to still struggle with these things, of course. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. And so what it comes down to is that we have to be willing, like I just mentioned, to submit ourselves to the authority of God and the authority of God's word. And we have to believe the Bible. We have to believe the Bible. If we're not willing to believe the Bible, then we're not going to be able to correct things in our life in order to have a life that's fruitful and to be able to work through issues. I firmly believe that everything we need, because the Bible says it. In fact, let me, let me show you. Go to, um, let's see here. I think it's First Peter. If it's not first, it's second. I always mess them up. So, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, <laughs> do that all the time. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Alright, 2 Peter chapter 1. says in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Verse 3 tells us that God has given us everything we need for life and how to live it godly. 
The issue is if we're willing to hear what God has to say. That's always the issue. Because there are some days that I don't want to hear what God has to say. And you know why? Because I know what he's going to say. (laughs) And I don't want to do what he says. And so in those days where I struggle and I don't want to hear what God has to say, I shouldn't be expecting things to get any better because I'm not willing to hear what God has to say. So right there is a great verse for you to just take in in mind with that one. So here's just some basic principles that we need to believe when it comes to the Bible and struggling with some of these issues is this. God will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, that is a promise in so many different places of Scripture. God will never leave you or forsake you. If you are born again and you are in the family of God, God will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how bad you mess up on stuff. God says he will never leave you or forsake you. That's huge. That's huge. So it doesn't matter what you're going through or even necessarily how you feel about things. If you know that God is with you, it will help you. It will help you to get through those circumstances. I've been through some tough stuff in my life. And I know that I'm going to continue to go through tough things for the rest of my life. It's just part of life. But if I know that God is with me, and then I'm, not going, to do, I'm going to do something stupid and he's just going to bail on me, that helps me. That helps me. That knows that if God's not going to give up on me, then I can get through this. I can get through this. It's going to be hard, but I know that I can get through this. That really helps me. The second point, God desires for us to cast all our cares upon him. All of them. And this is amazing to me because I think about it in these terms. Like, I mean, there are billions of people on the earth today. And let alone the, take that and multiply it by all the people that have existed throughout the entirety of humanity. And God cares for each and every one of us so intently that your individual cares, the things that are weighing you down, the things that are causing you issues, the things that are causing you problems, God desires for you to take those things and to put them at his feet. He is genuinely interested in your individual issues and problems and struggles and difficulties. God is a personal God, and he wants to be personal with you. And he desires that from you. That's amazing to me. Like, why would God care about my stuff? Like, why would he? He's got so many other things to be worrying about and so many other issues to take care of. Why would he worry about me? Because he loves me. And he loves you. My kids, like, my kids get worried and scared over the stupidest things to the point where I'm like... This is ridiculous. And I get frustrated. And that's just me being human. But like, you know, when they're scared about stuff and I'm like, there's nothing to be afraid of. And I feel like I'm just going over. No one's getting in the house. No. And I go over this stuff with them all the time. But I need to stop myself sometimes and I need to think for a second. They're genuinely scared about this. And then that touches my heart. And then now I need to go through things from their perspective and be like, Okay, what can I say to comfort them? What do they need? Maybe they just need me to be with them for five minutes. I'll lay with them in bed. Or maybe I'll have them sit up with me on the couch and I'll just hold them until they fall asleep and then I'll carry them back to bed. Because it's that big of a deal, Stephen. No, it's really not that big of a deal. But it means the world to them because they find comfort and safety and security in me as their father. God's the same way with you and I. 
the issue is is that we don't think that he is or we somehow have something else perceived in our mind about God that he's like you know being you know harsh towards us or whatever but God is always a loving God who desires for you to be with him and to be intimate with him no matter what's going on like even if I'm ticked at my kids about something I'm always going to hug them and I'm going to be with them and I might still be upset with them in the moment but even if I discipline them right afterward we talk about it and then I give them a giant hug and I'm like alright we're done Let's move forward. So when it comes to God, God sees the, the, the exact same way. He desires for you to cast all your cares upon Him. The next point, God will always provide a way of escape when it comes to temptation. When it comes to things in our life that will drag us down and defile our life, God always provides a way of escape. 2 Corinthians 10.13 says that. But turn to James chapter 4. I want you to see James chapter 4. I mentioned it during our songs. James chapter 4. This is a great rule to follow when it comes to stuff in our life where we're just struggling or we're not thinking about God properly or or whatever it might be, and we need to get right with God. This is a great, great rule to follow. Um, James chapter 4, and take a look at um, verse 8. We'll even back it up. Ah, verse 6. We'll go verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then verse 8, this is a great rule of all. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If you're willing to get close to God, he will be close to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and let your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. If we're willing to just humble ourselves and just say, God, I can't do it. Sometimes I've been in circumstances in my life where like either I might be upset with God about something or I might be frustrated or I might be in a circumstance that's just as like overwhelming. And I can be almost fighting with God in my prayers. And I can almost be like I'm an, I'm, I'm just venting my frustration with him and I'm talking with him but what I'm really doing in my prayers is that I'm resisting God there's this part of me in my spirit where I'm just resisting God and I'm just talking to him about it and frankly I'm talking to him in a very disrespectful manner because God doesn't deserve to be talked to that way but thank the Lord we're in a relationship with him and he doesn't strike us dead (laughs) so I'm talking to him about it but then as I'm talking to him about it and I'm resisting him I'm hearing what I'm saying and I, I'm realizing the attitude that I'm having, and then I realize who I'm talking to, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? And then I, all of a sudden my attitude changes, and I'm like, God, I am so sorry. I shouldn't be thinking this way, but I am struggling. Because there's a difference between, God, I'm just really having a hard time with this right now, and I don't understand what's going on, and God... I'm just really having a hard time with this right now. And I'm really struggling and I don't know what's going on. What's the difference? Your attitude. Your attitude towards the Lord. And until you're willing to be the latter, God, I don't know what's going on. You're not going to get anywhere. But sometimes we need to be honest and be like, God? (laughs) Before we can be like, God? (laughs) Because we need to work through our emotions. And we need to be honest with God on these things. But you have to come back down to 
your attitude. If you're not willing to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He can't lift you up. It's not that He won't. It's that He can't. He desires to, but He just can't. Once again, I think about my kids. I mean, there are times with Lucas where he's just so stinking stubborn about something. I mean, this happened just the other night. That's right. It just popped in my head. I had him in timeout because he did something. I forget what it was, but I know he did something. (laughs) And so I had to spank him because of whatever he did. And uh, and we dealt with it. That's why I forgot about it. Um, And I had to spank him about it. But then when we were done, I said, all right, now what I want you to do is I want you to go back to timeout and just sit down. Just sit down for a few minutes, just chill out, relax, and then I'll let you know when you can come out. And guess what he did? He threw an attitude about it, threw himself on the bathroom floor, and stomped over and threw himself down in the chair. (laughs) I mean, am I going to let that go? Absolutely not, because he had a bad attitude. He did what I told him to do, but he had a bad attitude. So what did I have to do? I had to bring him back in the bathroom again. I'm like, now I have to spank you again. He's like, no! And he's like, <laughs> I mean, he's like lost it. I'm like, but it's because your attitude. Your attitude is everything. If, you're, if your bad attitude is going to stick around, then it's going to get you nowhere. So I had to spank him again until he was finally humble. And he did what I told him to do with a good attitude. And he sat down. Then I knew that everything's going to be just fine. So then he sat down in timeout, and then he came over, and then we had a great talk, and I was able to hug him, and we were able to move forward. But I'm not going to let that go. I can't let that go, because the issue's not dealt with. He's doing what I told him to do, but he's doing it with a bad attitude, which means it doesn't mean jack. God's the same way with us. He wants us to behave a certain way, and he wants us to do what he's told us to do, but if we're not going to have a good attitude in the process, then he has no other choice than to keep chastening us until we have a good attitude about it. So it's very important, very important, very biblical. All right, the next point. The Lord is always in control. This one is a tough one. Oh my goodness. God is always in control. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Because if God's in control, then why is this happening? And regardless of my circumstances or how I feel, I have to remember that God is still in control. And I don't get it. And I may not ever get it. But I do believe that he's in control. And when I believe that he's in control, I don't know how this is going to work out, but it gives me more peace inside, and I can deal with circumstances. So there's some great passages on that one. Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I love that passage. I wish we had time to go there. Everything you go through, everything you struggle through, Jesus dealt with it to the T. Whatever it is. doesn't matter what the struggle is. So he knows And he's the one that has saved you through the gospel. And so it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. He can relate to it. He knows. He's able to empathize with you. He desires to help you. Not only does he know everything, but he then experienced it himself. So don't ever think for a moment that there's no one that understands what's going on. Because Jesus knows what's going on. And he cares for you deeper than anybody else possibly could. And so you need to go to him and talk to him. That is a great truth that we need to believe. If we're not willing to believe it, then we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Tribulations are opportunities for God to be magnified through your life. Difficulties, no matter how difficult they are, are opportunities for God to be magnified through your life. And with these ones, this is hard. Because when you go through tribulations, we want them to be over. But, you know, like I think about Al Vaughn, who's going through the health issues he's going through. He's got a form of, of um, Lou Gehrig's disease, but it's not Lou Gehrig's, but it's like it. And his body is just slowly deteriorating. 
And if you would talk with him, he's got like the best attitude in the world. The best attitude in the world. I'm so convicted when I'm around him because I complain about my circumstances sometimes. And this guy is slowly dying. Every day he gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And he doesn't complain a bit. There might be days where he's like, I'm just really tired today. But God's good to me. I mean, and it doesn't make sense to me sometimes. But when I see a guy like that, I see how God is being magnified because of Alvon's attitude through his circumstances. And it gives me courage. It helps me to understand the stuff that I go through isn't nearly as bad as what he's going through. And if he can do that and God can be magnified, then times where I cop an attitude about stuff, then God can't be magnified, even if it's just a small little thing. So we need to make sure we have things in proper perspective. Another great truth is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. The Bible says that in Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing means nothing. And nothing can separate you from the, from the love of Christ. And then this one's a big one. This one's a big one. There is a difference between guilt and godly sorrow. Oh my. I wish we had more time to get into some of this stuff. There is a huge difference between guilt and godly sorrow. Go to 2 Corinthians 7. I'll just touch on it a little bit. 2 Corinthians 7. Second Corinthians 7. All right. So we're going to talk about Judas in a little bit because when you think of suicide in the Bible, Judas is definitely up there because he ended up committing suicide after he betrayed Jesus Christ. Um, but there's a, that passage in Matthew, what I wanted you guys to see in that one, is that after he betrayed Jesus Christ, there came a point where he brought the money back to the Pharisees and he threw it back at their feet. And it says in that passage... When he saw that he was condemned, he repented in himself or something like that, and he went back. So he had a change of mind. But it says when he saw that he was condemned, when he saw that things were not going his way, he became guilty about the circumstance and wanted to just try to erase it and get rid of it. He wanted to get rid of the mar that was on him because of his condemnation. And so when he went to give the money back to those guys and they said, hey, we're not taking your money. You're the one that accepted the money. You're the one that betrayed him. It's, it's your fault, basically, is what they said. And so then it says from there, he went out and he hung himself. Judas was not, his repentance, I guess you could say, was that he had a change of mind about his circumstance, but it all hinged on when he saw that he was condemned. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I can first pick this. all right, it says in verse 9, now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. And here he explains it. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So there's two types of sorrow that can exist, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow works repentance or a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to life. Worldly sorrow is a change of heart and a change of mind that always leads to death because you see that you're condemned. And a great example of this that I can think of is that sometimes we change our behavior because we get caught. Because we get caught, we change our behavior. Not all the time. Sometimes when we get caught, it actually leads to godly sorrow. But sometimes when we get caught, it leads to a worldly sorrow that we change our behavior but it's only to get rid of the discipline and the condemnation that we get that we justly deserve 
But if we were to never be caught, would we ever be truly sorry for it? That's the question we need to ask. If we were never caught in whatever it might be, would we ever come to that place of repentance? Because if not, and you would have just continued, then how do you even know that it's worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow? Because godly sorrow is that God is convicting you without anyone else finding out what's going on. And then you're willing to get it right because you know it's the right thing to do. But worldly sorrow is, well, I'll change my ways because I was caught. But if I would have never been caught, I probably would have just been continuing to do it anyway. That's a major difference. Judas was the other way around where he decided he knew that he was condemned and then he ended up taking his own life in the process. All right. And then beware of vain imaginations and know how to fight them. So vain imaginations are evil. They are evil. And they can destroy us and destroy relationships. And all vain imaginations are are thoughts that aren't even real. We make them up in our minds. And this happens so many times that I can't even count in my own life where I've thought something about a certain person or a circumstance and then I find out that it actually wasn't true to begin with. I entertain these vain thoughts, these lies, really what they are, in my mind about someone or something or a circumstance and it ended up making me develop opinions about people and about their decision-making process and things and I didn't even know anything about it. And once I actually found out what was going on, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. I didn't, I didn't know that. Now that I know that, well, now this makes all the sense in the world and I feel like I'm, a, I'm an idiot. Put my foot in my mouth kind of a deal. All right, so there's that. So those are some things that we have to believe the Bible on. And those are just a few things. The Bible's chucked full of so many other things I could put down. But those are some of the ones that just kind of came to mind related to this, uh, this whole topic. All right, so the next thing here. So you've got to be saved. You've got to believe the Bible. And you have to be involved in prayer and accountability. I've already mentioned prayer and talking to God. If you're not willing to be real with God on it and wrestle with God on it, it's never really going to be dealt with properly. Because God is the one you need to go to. He's your God. He's your Lord if you're saved. And so you need to deal with Him on these issues. And so you need to be able to talk with Him personally. And, um, you know, just as a, a uh, probably probably one of the best examples, I mean, Philippians 4, 6, we know that one from stuff we've mentioned in the past. But be careful for nothing but in everything, you know, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So God desires for you to talk to Him. But let's go to Psalm 18. Go to Psalm 18. I want you to see this one in light of the context of what we've been talking about. Psalm chapter 18. <clears throat> and I mentioned this last week that the cure for loneliness is solitude. That if you're willing to get alone with God, you'll find out that you're not going to be lonely after all because you have him at your side and so in psalm 18 verse uh, 27 i love this this is so good for thou wilt save the afflicted people but wilt bring down high looks for thou wilt light my candle the lord my god will enlighten my darkness sometimes when we're struggling with these sorts of things or when people are struggling with these sorts of things their perception is just very dark. But here the Bible says that God is able to enlighten your darkness. If you would let him, he would actually bring a candle into the circumstance and enlighten the things that are very dark to you and that maybe are confusing or that you can't figure out or things that are just very heavy and depressing. God is able to do it. 
God will enlighten my darkness. And then look what he says here in verse 29. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. Okay, so first of all, those things are not possible. If you have a guy who's able to run through a troop of soldiers and a guy who's able to jump over a wall, that's not natural. But God is able to do the supernatural. That's the point. Because he says, by thee, God, I've run through a troop. By thee, I've leaped over a wall. These things that seem overwhelming are things with God that you can overcome. That's the point. That's the point of this passage. And then it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. A buckler. I think about that with a belt. It's like a belt. But God is able to keep you safe and secure. When you're riding on a roller coaster, you're very thankful for the harnesses that you have. And if you don't or something's not working, then your trip's not going to go that great. You're going to end up falling out at some point. And so when it comes to life, God is that buckler. He is that harness that keeps us in and keeps us intact. And then he says, For who is God save our Lord, and who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken in, by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. God has the ability to do all of these things regardless of your circumstances if you would just let him. If you go to him and you talk to him, he is able to help people in these circumstances and if people don't think that he is they are fools because he does this stuff this is what he's good at he is a rescuer he is a savior and that's not used lightly and that's just not only used eternally but that's also used in our temporal circumstances god didn't just enter our life just to save us for eternity he entered our life to save us from everything everything and sometimes things are hard and we just don't think that he's able to, but he is. We're not thinking right. And then outside of that, you got discipleship with others. And so we need other people in our life. Proverbs 27, 17 and 17, 17 are the highlights on that one. Don't have time to look up those ones, but, you know, you know, basically as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And when you notice the countenance of a person is down, sharpen them up because we need to be able to deal with those things. All right, so... I want to hit these common questions real quick. So when someone commits suicide, do they automatically go to hell? What's the Bible answer on that one? No, no absolutely not. That is something that people have made up. Uh, it is not true. It is absolutely not true. And just going back to what we talked about, Romans 8, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Even myself. Even I can't separate myself from the love of Christ. That is so important for us to understand. So just because a person commits suicide does not mean that they're automatically going to hell. A person goes to hell for what reason? Yep, they're a sinner and they've not received Jesus as their Savior. That's what the Bible clearly says. People do not go to hell because they commit suicide. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Is it possible for a person to be a Christian and commit suicide? Yes, absolutely. 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 Go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 on this one. So it goes hand in hand with what I just mentioned with Romans 8, but I wanted to show you this one too. 
Galatians 6, right before Ephesians. Alright, Galatians 6 and verse 5. Very clearly the Bible says, For every man shall bear his own burden. And then verses 7, 8, and 9. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, they're going to reap it. And so a person that is born again, it is possible for them to just not get in the right frame of mind and for them to keep going down a path and they keep sowing to their flesh and thinking wrongly and not listening to what God has to say and not being submissive to God. And they get themselves to the point where they end up ending their life. It's happened before. I mean, probably one of the greatest examples I could think of recently is with Alex Haas. When Alex died, Alex was born again. He had just gotten out of juvenile prison because he just... He did something stupid, but he got out, and he swore he would never take a drink again. He gets home, and he gets his hands on some alcohol, and he gets into a crazy state of mind where he's not thinking right, and he begins to try to drown him with alcohol. And then what happens is that he's in his, his drunken state, and he's not thinking right about his circumstances. His girlfriend just had gotten pregnant, and he was going to be a dad, and he probably got overwhelmed by those circumstances that he had to know he had to deal with because he had to – it's just – you know, part of what he, you know, he sowed that and so he's going to reap that. And he probably got overwhelmed and became embarrassed and decided, you know what, this is it, I'm done. And then he hung himself. And when he died, he went to heaven. He did. Terrible. It was absolutely terrible circumstance. But that kid was born again and when he died, he went to heaven. Because it's not about Alex's decisions. Alex's decisions could not separate him from the love of Christ. And so we got to go back to what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Most people don't do that, and that's part of the problem. What does the Bible say? All right. And then um, I threw in Ephesians 2 because that's just another one on that one. So where does the Bible talk about suicide? So I mentioned Judas. Um, Saul tried to commit suicide, but he failed. And so then he begged someone to kill him instead. And um, a young kid did, and then, you know, ended up finding out. David found out about it later. And then David actually had that kid killed because he killed the anointed. And it's just an interesting circumstance. But Saul basically wanted to commit suicide, and he failed. So he fell on a sword, and it didn't kill him. But he was unable to finish the job, and so he had someone else do it for him. So there's Judas, who betrayed Jesus, Saul. Um, Samson's an interesting one. Um, I'll come back back to that in a second. Ahithophel. So back when David was betrayed by Absalom, his son, and Absalom took the throne... Ahithophel was the counselor to Absalom. And there came a point where God was going to thwart the counsel of Absalom. And this other guy gave counsel, and Absalom listened to that counsel. And then Ahithophel said, well, you're not listening to my counsel anymore, so I'm just going to go and hang myself. And that's what he did. It was kind of weird. So it almost seems like he was in a circumstance where his counsel was no longer heard, so his life didn't mean anything anymore, and he just ended it. That's what it appears to be in Second Samuel. Uh, Zimri is another one in First Kings 16 who committed suicide. And then uh, go to Revelation 9. This one's interesting. Go to Revelation 9. So people during the tribulation, not everybody, but there's just some people during the tribulation, Revelation chapter 9. In verse 6. In those days, and in those days, shall men seek death and shall not find it. 
and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. It's kind of weird. So, during the tribulation, there's going to be a period where people are going to want to commit suicide, and they're not going to be able to. Now, play that one out in your mind a little bit. I mean, think about that for a second. People are going to try to commit suicide, so whether it be that they want to hang themselves, or they want to jump off a building, or they want to shoot themselves, or whatever, and they're not going to be able to die. That's going to be weird. I mean, can you imagine jumping off of a building and you don't die? Can you imagine shooting yourself in the head and you don't die? Can you imagine hanging yourself and you don't die? Like, that's what it says. Things are going to get so bad with this particular circumstance that's going on in Revelation chapter 9, the men are going to seek death and they're not going to be able to do it. It's going to flee from them. It's weird. It's weird. But those are a couple places in the Bible where it talks about that directly. Samson was one I wanted to mention. Samson, I don't qualify that as a suicide, and there's a reason behind it. Um, because what he ended up doing was is that he ended up, uh, he, was, he was judged and he was, basically his eyes were taken out. If you remember this from summer camp a couple of summers ago. And his hands were on the pillar, and he begged God to give him strength one more time because he wanted to take out the Philistines. Now, Samson was a judge, and as a judge of Israel, he was to take care of the nation of Israel, and the Philistines had Israel under oppression. And so Samson, in taking out the Philistines, actually rescued the nation of Israel from bondage. And so that was different. That is the sacrificing of one's life for the benefit of other people. People do this stuff all the time. Um, You know, cops in the line of fire trying to save people. Are they committing suicide because they jump in front of a bullet for somebody else? No. So Samson did the same thing. He took a hit in order to save the nation of Israel, so that wasn't suicide. It appears that way, but he did not commit suicide. He sacrificed his life. It's like Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, did he commit suicide? No, he didn't. They killed him. And so in that same process, Samson is that same type there. All right, so lastly, and we are way over, so I apologize. Is suicide ever okay? No. And here's the simple explanation behind it. God made us in his image. And even in Genesis chapter 9, after sin already entered into the human race, it says God made man in his image. Any murder, no matter what it is, either from one person towards another or self-murder, is wrong. It is satanic and it is unbiblical. Because God has made each of us on purpose for purpose. And we are given a life that is given to us by God. In fact, in a couple of the passages, like Daniel chapter 5 and in Job chapter 12, it talks about how the breath of every living thing is in the hand of God. So if you're willing to commit murder or even self-murder, you are the one that's saying, I want my breath removed. When actually in the Bible, that's God's call. That's not our call. If God sees fit for someone's life to end, that's God's call. That's not us. And so any sort of act to take someone's life or for you to take your own life is not something that God desires, and it is never okay. So that's a very simple answer to that. Um, and these things are you know, very complicated. So I hope these things uh, helped you. Um, but before we end or anything, is there any other questions that anybody has about this topic or anything like this before we end it out? And if you want to ask me on the side, that's fine too. But is there anything else? good okay all right so if you do have anything or maybe you want to ask me privately that's fine um this is not an easy subject to talk about um there are many different gray areas that i did not have the chance to explore 
Um, but I tried to give you the most comprehensive information that I possibly could within two Wednesday nights. So if there's anything else, feel free to talk to me about it. All right? Okay. Next Wednesday, we are going to pick back up with how to study the Bible, and we're going to get back into some of that stuff. Um, and uh, let's see. Is there anything else that I want to talk about? Ah, nope. Okay. I'm good. You good? All right. Then we're good. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and, and um, I pray that we would just believe your word, and that we believe the things that you say. Um, you know, my heart attitude is so critical in the process of when it comes to you and how I deal with things in my life, and um, when I'm humble and I'm willing to hear what you have to say, then uh, I know I'm able to work through things and be able to resolve them properly, and when I'm not, things just don't get better. And So I pray that we'd be able to take that away and apply that to our life. Um, and God, I pray that as we're interacting with people uh, from day to day and week to week, that if we have a heart for someone or have a burden, that we would do something about it, uh, that we wouldn't be afraid, but that we'd love people. Because uh, true love is, is, uh, is, is required by action. We can't say that we love people and then not do things about it. And so I pray that you would work that in our hearts and in our minds and, and that you would just help us, God. We love you very much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.